name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <coughs> this morning, we enter with our Lord into Jerusalem and take another step closer to the cross this Friday. The whole destiny of our Lenten journey begins today to be fulfilled. It's reasonable that our excitement for Easter might begin to manifest because soon we will experience again the resurrection in a foretaste of God's kingdom, the home toward which we have journeyed this long Lenten season, and the Father who bids us to return. Yet at the same time, we must not attempt to approach Easter without going through Holy Week. And this means we must now turn to the cross. We need to pause because the manner in which we sing our hosannas to Christ today says much about how we are approaching the death of Christ this Friday. St. Matthew teaches us that the sign of Christ entering on the back of a donkey means that the king has come to redeem Israel after centuries of eager anticipation. But what is the manner of this redemption? How has he come to save us? To the Jews at the gate, Christ's entry means an end to the Roman occupation, a restoration of national Israel to heights not known since before the Babylonian exile. To the Romans occupying the city, the entrance means that this comically backward people are at it again with their debunked traditions and hapless superstitions. For how could an itinerant rabbi on the back of a pack mule move the invincible empire an inch? To the disciples, the entrance means that their loyalty will be rewarded, their futures secured with the spoils and perks of this kingdom that's about to begin. Even Christ's closest disciples begin to jockey over prominence at the outskirts of the city. It's really only Jesus and his mother and Mary Magdalene that seem to know what's about to happen. Jesus, knowing the intentions of all those around him, knowing their imperfect motives, their ambitions, knowing of their impending betrayals, despite all that is amiss in their hearts, he humbles himself to ride on anyway. He sets his sights and willingly enters the city. And then we look and see how immediately he upsets everyone's expectations. Christ enters the city and then proceeds not to the Roman governor's palace, not to the high priest's home, but straight to the temple, the innermost sanctum of Jerusalem, and purges it of the money changers and the lenders. He then sits down and teaches, maintains a surprisingly low profile, disappears for a bit, spends whole chunks of time off with his disciples, eating in private, and praying by himself in the gardens. Jesus isn't going with the program. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. He persists in failing as the glorious conqueror that we welcomed at the gate. He doesn't meet our expectations, doesn't do what we've said again and again and again that we need for him to do. Maybe he doesn't really care. 
Maybe he isn't who we thought he was. Maybe our friends were right. Maybe we wasted all this time following this nondescript rabbi from backwater Nazareth. (coughs) Sure, he did some amazing things, but maybe the Pharisees were right. Maybe we've been duped away from our true religion. Maybe it's time to get real. But what a waste, a waste of time. How could we have been so blind? Who can we blame for this? And thus we proceed from joyfully waving our palms to abruptly arriving at Christ's passion. Cheers and pats on the back turn into fists in the air and a mob shouting for judgment and death. This is the whole drama of Holy Week. And we must live it because it is the drama at work in our hearts, even in this very moment. When we cry Hosanna and welcome Christ, we have to know that he's going to go straight to the heart of who we are and clean it out, removing all of our comfortable compromises, both small and great. He'll not start or stop with our perceived needs or our stated agendas because he knows that these aren't our real needs. These aren't our real problems. But if we only cry Hosanna on the condition that Jesus casts out from our midst only those things we want for him to remove, and if we do not allow him to cleanse the most sacred and interior parts of our souls, those frail places in which we're most afraid to be seen and known, those places of which we're most ashamed, then we will join the mob later this week. For to reject the work that Christ comes to do in favor of the work that we want Christ to do ultimately boils down to a cry of crucify, crucify. Palm Sunday is a day of startling contrast and confusion. It reveals to us how quickly we will turn on Christ. It reveals to us the stark conflict of the human heart when it is actually faced with God. Come to us. Come into my life, we cry. We'll soon ask at communion that he would dwell in us and we in him. We'll welcome him in the Eucharist, much like we welcomed him at the gates with palms waving. But perhaps even while praying, there's that small voice in the corner of our mind saying, but just don't come to us in a way we don't like. Don't change too much. And yet, our Lord humbles himself to enter Jerusalem, knowing the cost. He humbles himself to feed us with his own body and blood, despite our double heart, our mixed and broken intentions. Jesus calmly enters our chaos with humility, a humility that is unswayed by the cries of our fleeting affections, by our fragile resolutions, and says quietly in the midst of all of our shouting, I am here now. I am here to save you from the inside out. I know you, and I love you. I am not afraid of your fear or your confusion, and I am not going anywhere. Now that I am here, I am with you to the end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.